Welcome to episode 28 of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. Welcome. Very important topic, how the courts use GALs and child representatives to offer up information about parents and about children in a way that a judge sitting there with a robe in a room with no windows wouldn't actually be able to know. There's a lot more information to be gotten. So let's send out somebody to find it out. And that's these attorneys in that role. We're very fortunate to have with us today our celebrity guest, attorney Modupe Sobo. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Hi. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Because in 20 years of walking the hallways and going by you, I haven't gotten to know you. So please tell us about you. Sure. So I was um, born in London, England, and came to Chicago in 1994, went to law school, graduated, um, worked briefly, very briefly for a plaintiff personal injury law firm, and then went out on myself and specialized in family law and have been doing it for um, 20 odd years now as a solo practitioner. For the listener who doesn't know, and they're scared of lawyers anyway, I mean, you're okay, approachable. Yeah. Person, right? <laughs> okay, so I love tennis. I am a tennis fanatic. I love to watch it. I love to play it. I am a mother of one child. He is a sports fanatic himself, is in all kinds of sports baseball, football, what else? Uh, soccer, tennis. So, yeah, I will say, just to kind of toot my horn, I possess two law degrees. I actually went to law school in England. So, I have an LLB honors, is what it's called, Bachelor of Law. And of course, I have a Juris Doctor, Doctor of Law here in the U.S. So not that it makes me any smarter, but I do have two law degrees. <laughs> and when you talk about being a lawyer in Britain, were you ever practicing there? No, in England, it's a little bit different. You go to law school and then when you graduate, you then have to decide if you want to be a solicitor, which is a more transactional lawyer or a barrister, which is more litigation when you're actually in court. And then depending on which one you decide, now, this is taking me back now. But essentially, you would either go and do like an externship with a barrister or a solicitor, ultimately do an exam. And then if you pass that and are actually hired by a law firm, then you would become a lawyer. I see. So there was no wig to be worn at your level. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just the law school bit and then pause and hiked it over to Chicago. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's... That's a lot of work. You've, you've been to like nine years of, I mean, when you add it up, maybe 10 years of college or more. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. And it's not bad for someone who really doesn't like to study. <laughs> <laughs> well, what brought you to family law? Why, why navigate the dark corridors of family law where we muck around in people's lives and their emotions? Why, why yeah. this year? That's a great question. So as I said, early on, I was a plaintiff personal injury lawyer, and I hated it. It was frankly boring to me. And so I quickly realized that I really like it. It sounds crazy. I like dealing with people's emotions. I like dealing with people when potentially they're at their lowest, most difficult part in their life. And I like helping to scoop them up and kind of lift them up and help them on their way crazy huh <laughs> wow that's inspiring i i, I want to put that i'm going to put that on a plaque i think you know if i could find that spirit that that's it that, that scoops them up and lifts them up at their worst point in their life wow i'm very inspired and 
Very happy to have you with us. Glad you're here. Thank you. Pleasure. GALs and child's reps and their use in custody and divorce cases. Before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the show. with the show. Well, this is not an easy subject to talk about, so let's plunge right in. Children are caught in the middle of a dispute between adults over where they should live, who should spend time with them, sometimes even what they should eat, how their medical care should be handled. Those are the things that adults argue about. And when they can't solve their problems, then people like us, the attorneys, get involved. Ultimately, if things don't resolve, a judge who knows as little as possible about everything, because that's what judges say. They say, look, of all the people in this room, I know the least about your children. So you have attorneys, you have a dispute. And in the middle of it all, a judge who has to decide it if you can't solve your problem. So what do judges do? In a sense, they punt. They find another attorney to get involved in the case. In Illinois, there's a couple of flavors of that that are commonly used. A guardian ad litem and a child representative. A guardian ad litem is a family law attorney, just like a child's representative, an attorney who specializes in the area of family law. And um, really their role is to determine, try and figure out what is in the best interest of the children. Oftentimes a guardian ad litem can submit a report to the court. They can also uh, testify. They can become witnesses at trial if necessary. So their role is really to try and figure out what is in the best interest of the children. They can also meet with the parents and the children dependent on their ages. So that's a guardian ad litem. Now, when people hear guardian, they think, well, they're going to take over. They're going to start making decisions for the person. They're really like a parent almost. It's not that type of guardian, is it? No, they're more, no. The, the role is different. They're, they're more of a eyes and ears of the court. You sometimes hear that expression, right? So the judge, who, as I sometimes say, sits in a room with no windows and is dependent on what people tell him or her. It's a very limited stream of information. So they go out with this, the eyes and ears of the court, the GAL goes out to find out more. And then you have another flavor, child representative. It's almost a similar role, but slightly different. Yes. Uh, an, an interesting point about child representative, it is a different role than a guardian ad litem, although it, it does have to do with uh, an attorney acting on behalf of the best interest of children. Uh, however, this attorney is an advocate that is not to be a witness in the case, and is able to file pleadings and to present arguments to the court. And so the role, we might say, is a little bit more robust than, in some sense, I would say, than a guardian ad litem. Now, I found to my surprise that in some of the suburban districts in Cook County, Illinois, uh, I found a preference in some suburban district courtrooms for a guardian ad litem more so than a child representative. And in my courtrooms in First District in Chicago, I found more of the preference the other way. So there are more 
likely to appoint a child representative than a guardian ad litem. And I found that to be curious, uh, but uh, just the difference between where you go, your, your location might determine uh, who the judge wants. Yeah, I kind of feel like, so I've been doing this for about 20 years or so, and I kind of feel like maybe 10 years ago, there was like a drift. Like when I first started, it was always a point of GAL, GAL, GAL. And then there was like a change, almost, almost all of, all of a sudden, where judges were now appointing child's reps. And I don't practice so much in the suburbs. My practice is primarily downtown. So um, I did find that it seemed like almost exclusively child's representatives were being appointed. And I was trying to figure out why. And from what I could glean from it in talking to child's representatives, it was the whole difference between being a witness and not. Uh-huh. A lot of them just did not want to have to get on the stand and testify. So that was one of the factors that seemed to be the change. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, another thing is, in before we lose our listeners in the dust here, hang on, because there's more coming that you might find interesting. Right now, it sounds like a subtle distinction. All the lawyers are talking about the difference between a GAL and a child's rep. You know, why does it matter? It's still a lawyer for the child. Well, it matters in a couple of key ways. For one thing, a GAL is, is a very important point. They have no confidentiality or anything told to them. The child's words, the parent's words, nothing told to them. A therapist can talk with them, but in the end, they have no duty to keep anything secret. On the other hand, and as we've said, a GAL functions sort of like a witness. They can be called on to testify. Um, but as we know, many of these cases settle before a trial, but if there is a trial, they can be called on to testify. Now, stick with me there, listeners, if you will, as I explained, the other thing is the child representative has the role of an attorney and enjoys a blanket of confidentiality, but only to one person or persons in the case, the children. (laughs) Am I right? I think it's, they only have a duty to keep what the child says confidential. Everybody else, they can they can talk about whatever they heard from anything. But and the other thing is they're free of the role of a witness, so they don't have to worry, as you said, uh, Dupe, about taking the stand. Another difference is the child representative doesn't have to make a report, and people hate making reports, right? <laughs> so they don't have to testify as a witness. They don't have to make a report, and they can ensure they can tell the child, "Listen, Betty." Timmy, everything you tell me is confidential unless you give me permission. So they can give that blanket assurance to the child that what they're saying is confidential. Now, there's several reasons why I don't like a child representative, and I'll begin pontificating later about that. But is there anything else about the two roles that people should know? I'd like to say that another distinction, uh, and again, I could be, it could just be my own take on the matter, but another distinction is that the Guardian ad litem, in my experience, is charged perhaps with a specific task. And so the judge making the appointment says, I want you to find out about uh, dad's drinking. I want you to find out about uh, mom's uh, not being at home at all hours. And so the the, uh, guardian ad litem then has to investigate, come back with a report. And, And in that way, kind of says, well, I just have a narrow responsibility here. The judge asked me to do 
A, B, and C. I've done A, B, and C. Here's my report. I'm done. So that that's kind of the the sense in which, and perhaps not every guardian at light approaches it that way, but I have had that experience in some cases where there's a specific task. They do that task, and and they're done. I've I've, yeah. I've been a, yes I've been appointed as a jail in a case where they said mom's alleging dad's got a drug problem, and that's the key thing where you know and so I had them both do drug drops and I got right in on the drug mm-hmm. issue and. Also keep in mind, you know, is everything else okay? You know, is there anything else? GAL must make a report, oral or written. Child representative, no, right? But they get to speak during settlement conferences with the judge called what they call here a pretrial, right? So they get to get in the room with the two lawyers, if it is, and the judge. And and then they get to say stuff. And uh, that's really scary, too, for me. When we're representing a parent, they don't have to tip their hand sometimes until they're right in front of the judge in a little back room we call the judge's chamber, you know, the judge's office. And then they come out with this stuff and you feel sometimes blindsided, like, well, but he kicked the dog, your honor. I think that's very concerning. What? I never heard about kicking the dog. You know? so, <laughs> right. You, both of you represent, both of you represent parents and you know how you can get blindsided by stuff, right? You know yeah. what? That hasn't happened so much with me generally. And again, maybe it's, in more recent times, I feel like the the GAL or more likely the child's rep will reach out to me and let me know what's going on and which way they're leaning before we get before the judge. And of course, that's helpful because blindsided is, is the worst. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, now, when our people listening, these listeners don't often have an attorney and, you know, they're looking to us to sort of unroll the sacred scrolls and tell them stuff that they need to know. Like they're almost functioning like their own lawyer sometimes. So say they have a custody or divorce case, what should they know? Now that somebody's been appointed, what's the next thing to do? How do they approach this attorney who's now going to have a big say in their case? I would just like to say one thing. This is my hint. Okay. Here's my secret. Okay. I'll broadcast worldwide here. My secret is I like my client to make a flip book. I call it. It's I like them to go to a drugstore and get a little album, photo album, little half-size photo album, and maybe the 20 or 25 best pictures they have. The child smiling, not just grinning, but smiling, all teeth, you know, really having fun, horseback riding, Grand Canyon, there they are in the swing, birthday party. And I found that it just makes an emotional impact. And especially if they're in some of the pictures, that's even better. But just that picture's worth a thousand words, you know, a little photo album to give to the child's rep or the GAL upon their first meeting. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, hints that you'd like to reveal, secrets of the trade <laughs> that you'd like the listeners to know? You know, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't have to use that one. Um, <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't think I do anything quite as creative as that. I, you know, I obviously tell them that what this uh, GAL or child's representative is um, going to say to the courts is going to carry a lot of weight. And so I tell them to be mindful of what they say. I tell them to really try and be child-centered, to focus on putting forward what they think is best for the child and not so much for themselves, because of course that's what, you know, what's best Uh, for the child. Sorry. Yes. I'm just hearing you until yes, because (laughs) what I'll tell people is look in the role, when you're talking to the child's rep, the jail, remember, 
You're not the angry ex-girlfriend. You're the caring, concerned mother. Dad, right. remember, you're not the jilted ex-husband. You're not the angry husband who just had his wife cheat on him. Whatever's gone on to break up your marriage, put that aside. Put on your best Mr. Rogers neighborhood attitude and clothing and go in there and be dad. That's <laughs> and you know what? To follow up on that, it's, it's useful then to know the kind of personality that you're dealing with or that you are. So if you know that you're the kind of person who gets emotional and it overtakes everything else, be mindful of that when you're meeting with a child's rep and GAL because the focus is on what's best for your child. It's not about what so-and-so did to you. It's what's best for your child. So going in, being calm and being child-focused is really going to help help your case a lot. Now, there is a place for one partner speaking about the other partner. And I'll, I'll say this, that... Uh, Many times in our initial interview with a parent, then it's a fight. There, there's a, a conflict. And, and here's a long list. Here are the 10 things that I hate about the other parent. Now, uh, I've learned from uh, forensic clinical evaluations. Uh, that's where a psychologist talks to the parties and the children. Is there anything you can find that's good about the other partner? And so make a list, not the list of the 10 things you hate. But the, li the list of things that make that person a good father may not may not be as long as 10. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. Yeah. Can you find something good to say about the other pair? Because one of the best interest factors is uh, facilitating a, a positive relationship with the other parent. Yeah. yeah. I've had a judge almost make that a decisive factor in deciding the case whether or not a parent can facilitate a good relationship with the other parent. And, you know, judges come from all backgrounds. And I think some of them may be replaying some of the experiences they've had as lawyers, you know. And so when they see a situation where somebody seems to be interfering with the other parent or talking down the other parent to the child, some of them can react and say, well, I, I see what I need to see here. And I think, mom, you should have the majority of parenting time because dad, with your attitude, you're being childish. You know, I've heard some some pretty harsh words spoken by judges to parents who seemingly can't put aside their anger. And let's not forget, judges are also humans, right? Parents, mm -hmm. ex-spouses. I know one particular judge, and as I think about it, it's probably more than one, who often talks about their own experience of going through divorces. So, you know, yeah. be mindful of that. If they've had better divorces and fights over the kids, again, you know, red flags may pop up if they're hearing that one of the parties in a case before them is using similar antagonistic language, shall we say. <laughs> so we need more secrets, more secrets. Okay, here's another one. Okay, if I can just spill the secret worldwide. Okay. Uh, I think that you should come equipped to talk about the child's education, their medical situation, and maybe uh, activities you've been involved in or what you know about their sports or little Jimmy scored a basket last, last Thursday. You're, you know, you know about sports, you know about their, you know, and Dr. Ferguson says not to worry about that bump on Jimmy's arm. And we took Timmy in for a checkup. He's fine. Although we think in the future, he might need braces. I mean, to talk like that. Like you're really engaged in the medical and in school. You say, well, if they ask, when's the last time you talked with a teacher? Oh, Ms. Anderson is so nice. We had a parent-teacher conference and, 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 and Sally's doing okay. But her math, she said that she's having a little trouble understanding multiplication. You know, that kind of detail. You can't fake it. You know, but if you really are in 
to that stuff, make sure you mention it, right? Yeah. That's one. As well as the day-to-day activities, you know, the, you know, what your involvement in waking up the children, making sure that they're, they're washed, they're fed, you know, um, helping them to get to school, helping them with homework, as you said, the daily activities, you know, how much are you involved in that? Right. The daily routine, uh, in normal, you know, non-COVID time, we're coming out of a pandemic. It's still going to be strange for a while, long while probably. But who picks up, drops off? How does the child get to school? How, who helps with homework? You pack a lunch or they eat at, eat at school. Who's the principal of the school? I mean, I've, I've asked parents that, and they, they've actually, in litigation, I've asked that during depositions. I've, I've, you know, as a parent, as the attorney for one parent, trying to show the other parents clueless, I ask them, who's the child's teacher, homeroom teacher? What's the name of the principal? Uh, I've even gone so far as, what does the building look like? What does the school building look like? And I said, well, it's, uh, I think it's big and square, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, have you ever been there, right? Is it brown brick? Whatever, you know, and they, if they just don't know what the school looks like, they don't know the principal's name. They don't know the teacher's name that it, it I, I use it. And it's my job to do this when I'm representing the other. I use those type of questions to show that the other parent is disconnected from the child and to imply that their desire for more parenting time is really just a vindictive ploy against my client. <laughs> <laughs> they're just trying to dig my client. They don't really want to spend more time because look, they're, they, don't, they don't know anything about the child's daily routine, medical, school. So to our listeners, you have to really bone up on all that stuff. If you don't already, make sure you know the basics, what we're talking about. Who's the pediatrician? School. Name of the school. Do you even know what the school looks like? Make sure you're in contact with the teacher, things like that. Now, there's another aspect of the, this whole set of relationships that every once in a while I, I have, I represent exclusively parents, really. I'm, I'm not pointed as a GAL or a child rep. So I'm, I'm representing either mom or dad in the cases that, that I've had. And in, invariably, there will be a parent, without my being aware of it, uh, who will want to have me meet the children. And so they'll bring, you know, their their kids by and introduce me to them. And I'm a little bit hesitant about speaking too much with the children because they're represented. They have a, a child representative in the case, and the child representative may not want me to talk to the kids. Uh, so, uh, and I explained that to my parents. I'd say, well, you know, we can, I'm glad to meet your kids, and they're they're bright and, and uh, friendly, and and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, happy to make their acquaintance, but uh, I'm really not going to be able to hear their stories about how bad the other parent is. <laughs> about how, how bad the other parent is. You I know, think so, you're right. Yeah. I think that's, I would consider that speaking of dangerous ground to be uh, even uh, saying hi to that, the child. Because you know, if it's like, you only say hi, you talk with the child, what were you doing? So, I mean, it's really, yes. I, I think as an attorney for the parent, I would probably stay away from conversing with the child. But for the for the listener who thinks, if Jimmy could just talk with, you know, now we've gone through, we've had an episode on in camera uh, and we talked about the mom face, dad face, the idea that the parent is hearing stuff they like, like, I know if Jimmy could just talk to the judge or just talk, you know, if, if, if somebody could hear what Jimmy needs to say, of course, Jimmy's buttering dad up with, I love it here, dad. I want to be here. Can I stay here all the time? I hated that mom. And then Jimmy goes over to mom's and say, gosh, do I have to be there? Dad's house is so boring. I really don't want, and his girlfriend, Brenda, is really mean. You know, 
each parent's hearing what they want. So there's a danger in thinking that the child needs to talk to, you know, like your lawyer, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I haven't talked to the lawyer. Yeah. So here's an issue. Let's say these people who are going to be interviewed and they are interviewed by a GAL or a child rep. Let's say they have a lawyer. Should they bring their lawyer with them? I mean, do you go with clients to meet with a GAL and the child's rep? No, I do not. I mean, you you almost feel like if you come, and it's weird me being a lawyer, but you almost feel like if you come with a lawyer, you potentially have something to hide. I try and tell them, go there, meet with the GAL or child's rep and be truthful and be open. But I'm not going to be there. This is your chance to kind of state things as you see it, as far as what is best for your child. So absolutely not. I'm not present for those meetings. Well, I'm glad we're going to have some disagreement. Hey, Barry, what do you think? <laughs> well, let me let me say that I side I side with Dupe on this one. I I myself I I almost in every case give my consent to the child rep or the GAL meeting with with the the client and the children outside of my presence. I um, first of all, I guess for several reasons. I in in almost every case, I, I've done a little bit of preparation of my client. Uh, as we talked about, and so there, there some of the fear and hesitation is kind of taken away, and and the other thing is that I, I generally trust the professional who's been appointed by the court, so they've been doing it for a long time, and uh, so I don't want to be intrusive and be there, you know, even if I'm just a fly on the wall, you know, I'm trusting them, and I'll hear from you later what your report is or what your take is on this family, but I don't need to be at your interview. And so that's that's my modus operandi. That's what I do in, in these cases. Two out of three attorneys surveyed said that. They, <laughs> no, I'm the, so I'm the one. Okay, so here's what I, I've been burned so many times. And as you know, Barry, and maybe, I don't know, Dupe, we haven't talked a lot over 20 years. I've run into you in the hallway, I think, several times. But, I mean, we're just crossing paths, right? Yeah. Huge huge family law division in downtown Chicago. We could operate for 20 years and never have a case together, right? But, so, here's what I've been burned is send the client, prep them like you said, you know, make sure you talk about the child. Here, bring the flip book, you know, my, my famous picture book, you know, talk about, you know, Cindy as best, you know. And then they come away and and I say, well, how'd it go? Well, it was okay. And then the next time I hear from the jail, I say, well, the father admitted you know, to pushing the child on the floor. And then he also said that, you know, and then they come out with stuff that yeah. my client supposedly said. And some of it's pretty awful. Like, but you Kevin, know, tell me this, the, what okay, would you do, though, if you had been there? What would you have done? Tell them to stop talking? No, but well, OK, to build up to my great story here. So what and I will answer your question directly, counsel, but just a minute here. Uh, what what I'm saying is. I now sit in the, I try to be there for the first meeting. I'll sit in a chair, say little, but it does seem to make everything go, what's more formal, of course, because I'm listening, but I'm not a witness. I can never testify as to what is said, and they know it. I'm just there to kind of smooth over any hiccups, you know, and give my client a little more confidence, but I'm going to let my client do the talking. And every once in a while, if I, if they, now, did you understand the question? If they answer something really strange, like, you know, like, I think they just admitted something bad or something like that. So did you, did you understand the question? And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, now, you know, and I asked the child rep now, do you think that 
is there something you need to know more about that? Or, you know, to try to figure out if my client just admitted, you know, ripping the head off the stuffed animal in anger or something like that. It's like, well, was the animal's head loose already? You know, or something like that, you know, <laughs> but, but because otherwise it's a mystery. I send them in and they come back and the word admitted comes out. The GAL will say, well, they've admitted, you know, the, the, he admitted, you know, and I think I really want to hear what my client actually said. You know, because I now have to defend against it, right? <laughs> so, but I am very polite. I explain that I'll be there, but you know, obviously it's your your interview and everything. And I haven't had too many people push back. I did have one JL say absolutely not, but most of the time, I know it's a little more expensive. They you know charging an hour or two for for being there, but after being burned a few times, where where the JL or somebody will will say he admitted what was ac- accused or something like that especially when there's an order of protection or something involved and they're accusing him of abuse. And then people say, well, he, he admitted those allegations. And, what? It's like, what did he say? <laughs> and it's not knowing the exact words is the hard part. So mm-hmm. right. And listening and scribbling notes, at least I can figure out what I'm up against. Cause my client may have done bad things. I mean, I don't get all the people that have done everything right. Neither you do either. Right. We get people who have made mistakes, who have maybe said, things in opportune moments or said things that they shouldn't have done things they shouldn't have that's why we see them if they were great everything was great you know so in trying to unwind what happened sometimes i'm learning for the first time during the interview with the jl <laughs> they'll come out with something that i never got through my interrogation of the client something new so i respectfully disagree about not being there at least for the first meeting now that doesn't help our listeners who often don't have attorney. Can they bring a tape recorder? Can they tape record the interview? Probably not. I, I would say imagine. not. They probably won't be allowed to. So how are they going to remember what they said? You know, should they take notes? I guess they could if they wanted to. But it would it, it would slow them down, wouldn't it? it would yeah. really. I don't know if that's a good look for them, but. <laughs> right, right. Writing. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So their face, their face is in the notebook and they're not right. really looking. No eye contact. Right. So. We have all had experiences good and bad with GALs, right? And with child rep. So we were talking about whether or not to have an attorney present during the interview with the GAL and the child's rep. I mean, it's a high stress thing. Someone else is going to meet you for the first time. And in a matter of weeks or months, they're going to be giving opinions about you as a parent. And if you have an attorney, you know, I think bring them to the interview. Try to make it sound not a big deal. Of course, my attorney will be there. But if you don't have an attorney, all is not lost because who's an expert on your child? You are, right? You know more than anyone. Make sure that you've got that all committed to memory. And like we talked about, names, doctors, teachers, homework, all those details, commit those to memory, be ready to say what's the best thing about your other, the other parent. Dupe, you said that, right? Like, or, or maybe, Barry, you said, you know, try to have a few things in mind that make you sound like a balanced individual, not a raging, uh, <laughs> I don't <know>, just, <laughs> it's nice to have a few things to say. Well, you know, he pays his child support reliably. Anything else? No. <laughs> it's like, it's like, at least one thing. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he seems to, he, you know, Timmy likes playing basketball with him or, you know, there's something good. You know, he's showing that you're a balanced individual. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of part one. We've run out of time, and 
I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. And I'm attorney Matupe Sogo. And we'll see you in part two. 